Hey, Rachel. Hey, Brian. How was your week? Just a rude person you are. I'm rude? <laughs> what a <laughs> just nasty <that>. question. <laughs> I see what you're doing. Yeah, I just asked you a normal question. I was trying to be nice. We're opening up the country. We're opening it up very fast, faster than most people could ever imagine. And it's going to be beautiful. And you're rude. (laughs) Well, I can't debate that. I am a little rude. Okay, this is Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. Is no, my sign is no, my number is no. Mm. You need to let it go, mm. you need to let it go, mm. need to let it go. Okay, Rachel, we got so much good feedback from last week's episode. What do you think it was? I think it really had a lot to do with Umberto Tozzi and um, Gloria. <laughs> our, new pat- our new patron saint. <laughs> We've got to stop talking about it because we're going to start losing listeners over <laughs> the stupid Italian song. Although I did have multiple offers to translate it for us um, oh. since Wikipedia didn't do a very good job. No, they so, didn't. So, um, no, we're not going to spend any more time on that. Can we just shut that down right now? We can shut it down, but I, I mean, I appreciate the feedback, and I'm glad that it was illuminating for people. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your service. It was a breath of fresh. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, anything interesting happen with you this week? I had a I had an interesting adventure this weekend. Well, why don't you talk about your adventure? <laughs> Tell me what happened. Why? Because we, we decided that I was going to talk about my adventure first? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I think anytime someone has an adventure in these dark days it's worth going well i didn't i didn't actually tell you what happened so on sunday doug and i decided that we were going to be bold and venture out to the mega wegmans in new jersey that we love going to there's a tiny one in brooklyn but it's shitty and we said we are going to go and stock up we haven't been since uh the very very beginning just before the quarantine hit and we said how bad could it be we're gonna like get in our car drive somewhere, go to the supermarket just like we go to the supermarket here. We'll have our masks. We'll get back in the car, and that's it. How bad could that be? So we go to take our car out of the garage that we pay an extortionate amount of money for and never use the car. And, of course, the car is dead because we haven't used it for like three or four months. So we get okay. a jump from we get a jump from the guy. The drive normally takes like an hour plus, and it takes like 29 minutes because there's nobody on the road. We get there, and it's surprisingly full, but it's very well organized. They only let in a certain, let in a certain number of people at a time. They make sure you're wearing masks. There's guards. There's even a police officer outside. We actually have a delightful shop through Wegmans. We buy like $500 worth of stuff, um, including many frozen goods and uh spoilable produce and then we go to the car to fill up our car and get ready to leave and of course what happens we get in the car and the battery's dead oh my Uh, god (laughs) so we're sitting in a Wegmans in New Jersey parking lot so what do you do you ask for a jump right so my first thing was uh, there's a security guard maybe someone who works at Wegmans I go ask him he says no um, we're totally understaffed nobody's on break right now there's a cop I, who looked like he was 16 years old, I asked the cop, is there any way you could give me a jump? And he's like, oh, no, I didn't drive here today. I got dropped off. Like, what cop carpools? Like, so this guy didn't have a jump. So I said, oh, no, I'll be a <clears throat> superhero here. I will just find someone who will give us a jump from their car. So we're sitting in this, it's actually like a little offshoot parking lot that we're in. And lots of people pass, but everyone who passes us, and not to like profile anyone, but they really looked like they were either unable or unwilling to help us. Um, there was just a lot of um, 
older women who looked like they might lack the strength to open their bonnet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean a little house on the prairie. No, bonnet is the trunk. What's the one in the front? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I was envisioning a, a bonnet <laughs> in New Jersey. <laughs> You know, the famous from the Amish of New Jersey. <laughs> so, and then we're starving. So we go in and they normally have this like bountiful, like hot tables of, you know, food to go. And they had nothing. All they had was like sad clamshell desk salads, like the kind you get in an airport. Yeah. So I get, we get those for me and Doug and we're, it is so sad. We call AAA USAA takes them an hour to get there meanwhile we're sitting like on the ground in the sun in a parking lot with masks on eating like sad supermarket salads we hit a nadir it was this a nadir. Is terrible this is yeah. the saddest story <laughs> what a way to start this podcast oh my god it only gets dis- better dis- from there despite despite even even having had covid this was actually worse than that Wow, I can imagine Doug was not happy about it. No, any he was not. This. <laughs> this is not. It's not his finest <laughs> milieu. <laughs> so AAA came and gave you a jump, and you got back and got a new battery, and everything's fine. Oh, we don't get a new battery. It'll happen next time, also. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> Who's going to sell us a battery now? <laughs> we'll just know. go to the battery store. <laughs> well, can't you just go to the shop and drop off the car? I don't know. It's too much work. We're okay. we're just never going out. We're never going outside again. So okay, we learned okay. our lesson. Um, how about you, Rachel? Sounds like you have a story. Well, yeah. Well, you know, everyone's cutting their own hair and doing their own terrible dye jobs, and like as you can see, I'm wearing a babushka, which has yeah. Like, you wear you look like a Esty from SD. Unorthodox. Yes, um, and we're all gonna look like shaved Esty by the time this is over. I'm like completing my transition to full on gray gardens mode, but but, but as an orth- Orthodox Jewess, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Jewish gray gardens. Um, so you know who is not cutting their own hair. I do know, but go ahead and tell the good people. <laughs> dogs. Dogs are not cutting their own hair. Specifically um, one dog? Coco. So this week I took Coco to get a haircut. It was very necessary. It was an emergency. Her fur was in her eyes. It was getting all matted on her back because we were not diligent in brushing her every day as we should have been. So I pulled into the groomer um, in my oh, mask. Oh, they're, they're like open and allowed to operate? Like is it yeah. curbside, curbside service? Or? Yes, yes. And they picked up Coco, took her out of the car. Then I picked her up a few hours later and I didn't recognize her um, partly because they had to shave her body. So this is the first time <laughs> ever that I'm like seeing her actual shape and she's very skinny under all that fur. But also they accidentally put her collar, which is like this pink collar that says Coco in huge letters and they gave it to a different dog. <laughs> So it was like a case of mistaken identity. They were and I was swi- with- <laughs> switched at birth. <laughs> so I was with AJ. Wait, no, no, this begs the question, what tag did Coco have? She didn't have any. So oh. they were like trying to stall us. Like at first they didn't want to tell us what happened. But then like the, per- I kept calling. So I was like, what's going on? You said she'd be ready. And we're sitting here in the parking lot. And AJ was getting very impatient. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we accidentally put her collar on another dog and i'm just like what kind of person retrieves their dog at the groomer and has like a coco huge coco collar on <laughs> doesn't it and doesn't notice. know it. <laughs> it's like 
so maybe yeah. maybe the other dog was like rebranded. <laughs> yes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we produce the, the Coco. brand new Coco. <laughs> and the the mom and dad are like, oh, okay, All it right, works. I guess this is Coco. So they so they. <laughs> We had to sit there waiting for them Wait, to did come. You, report, you should have reported it to the police. It's a case of stolen like, identity. I Ace Ventura pet detective. <laughs> <laughs> so, they come, so they come back and they get the collar and then Coco gets in the car. And then like it was just the beginning of, of the nightmare because Coco, she'd never gotten a haircut like this before. And she was so shy. She was like hiding. Oh. Yeah. So was it like a nudity? Did she needed a fig leaf? She yeah. She just felt leaves. naked and uh, she was embarrassed about her haircut. <laughs> and so so she's okay now. She's getting used to it. But um, that was my, my big adventure for the week. It that was enough. Horrible. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. These were really bad stories. Can we do the actual nopes now? Yes. Please? Yes, we can. <laughs> okay. Um, you've been wanting to talk about this one. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to talk about Ronan Farrow. And, who, does, um, who doesn't want to talk Everyone's about talking Farrow. about Ronan Farrow right now. And I'm forewarning you that the opinions I have about him are going to be unpopular. So don't at me. Or do I don't care? Honestly, we are nothing if we are nothing if not unpopular. It's the one thing we excel at is being unpopular. It's fine. Um, So there was a column in the New York Times a couple of days ago by Ben Smith, who's their new media columnist, and it was called "Ronan Farrow: Too Good to Be True?" Question mark. And I have to say, it's a question that I've asked myself. There's something, you know, a little too perfect about him. You know what I'm talking about? It always is. It's like, how how did he know that conversation in such detail if he wasn't in the room? Right. And he didn't, and he didn't speak to either of the other people in the room. Right, right. And just like, <laughs> I mean, everything about him, like he he's just, you know, the child of Hollywood royalty, this wonderkind, went to college when he's 16, Yale Law School, the State Department, had his own show on MSNBC when he's like in his early 20s, and then he wins a Pulitzer for this reporting about Harvey Weinstein. And he's obviously like a very smart guy and has done some good work. That has Also, ex- I can't I can't figure out what color his hair is. That's uh, my main problem with him. It's like sometimes of, blonde and sometimes red sometimes and auburn. Sometimes brown. Maybe. Yeah, yes. I think he changes it. He he's definitely, a changeling. Yeah, he's a changeling. <laughs> there's, there's something like about the way in which he tells his stories that has always rubbed me the wrong way as a journalist. And Ben's column kind of got at that. And he here's what he said. He said that in the book uh, Catch and Kill, he delivers narratives that are irresistibly cinematic with unmistakable heroes and villains and often omits the complicating facts and inconvenient details that may make them less dramatic. And that's exactly it. You know, like, have you read the book? Um, well, yes, I'm reading it right now. <laughs> but let me just tell you like a little more background because this whole thing blew up. One one example in Catch and Kill is the story about Matt Lauer alleg- allegedly sexually assaulting a junior employee at NBC. And the employee, according to Ronan, left Lauer's dressing room crying and ran to report it to the guy she had been dating, who was a producer working in the control room that morning. But Ronan and his fact checker never called that producer to corroborate the accuser's story. And then the producer 
producer boyfriend spoke to Ben Smith and said he doesn't even remember that happening. So that that's a problem, right? right. That's, that's like that's like fact checking one one. You name someone, you have a story yeah. about it, you call the guy. You have and to just call them, it even if it's on background, just corroborate it. So the so the reaction to Ben's column was generally negative. Um, mostly people were like, "Why are you picking on Ronan? He's so great. He's helped people." But that's not the fucking point. Like you still have to get it right and do the work, or it undermines everything you're trying to do, right? And then if it wasn't bad enough, who emerges from his hidey hole but Matt Lauer? And he writes this, Mm. did you see this? He wrote a follow-up essay and it was posted on Mediaite because who else is going to publish Matt Lauer right now? <laughs> Not it, Medium. It wasn't even good enough for Medium where no. you can publish anything. It was on right. Mediaite. <laughs> but I read it. It was. It kind of went viral. And it. And I was, you know, a little tipsy when I first read it. And I think Matt Lauer is vile for the record. But in spite of all that, I was like, wait a minute. He's like actually kind of making sense here. And I read it again this morning. And I have to say, like, he was raising some valid points that need to be addressed. So I decided to go to the source and finally listen to Ronan's book, Catch and Kill, on Audible to find out for myself what I thought about all of this. And I cannot believe that there has not been a bigger outcry, not about the reporting techniques, which are problematic, <laughs> but about the accents. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You sent me the files. I, I just listened to the files. It is otherworldly it is <laughs> transcendent it is a gift from the comedy gods i it, cannot believe who told him it was a good idea to read read his audiobook with accents for the people who have accents that's like rule number one it's I mean, a trip around the world. It is like <laughs> in eighty in eighty hours of audiobook. It's like un- I, unabridged. I, I don't even know what to say. So I, I did um, compile some clips just so that our listeners can get a feel if they haven't had the opportunity to read <laughs> to read the book in audio or or just bought the regular book. Um, so it it first starts right at the beginning when he's talking about this Ukrainian goon who's like a private investigator. Let's play the clip. A new and shadowy client had come into the picture, an enterprise he wouldn't name that was utilizing him as a subcontractor. He was doing big business. I mean, to some cool shit, some dark stuff. Okay, so so there's that. Um, then we have the Italian accent when he's talking about Ambra Gutierrez, who is the Mama model. Mia, yeah. <laughs> yes, she's the model who um, Harvey Weinstein groped, and she heroically went to the police and then wore a wire and and caught him. And here here's the clip of him reenacting her interview. She told me Berlusconi had used his power to smear her. They said I was a bunga bunga girl, that I was having affairs with sugar daddies, she said. Anyone who knows me knows those things are completely fake. Slut shaming, it seemed, was a universal language. Bunga bunga. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, the piece de resistance is... Rosie Perez, okay? He, this one is beyond. Amazing actress. Amazing, <laughs> amazing actress. actress oh, like uh, an icon. And this is what he does to her. Let's play the <laughs> clip. I think that was the Harvey machine. The actress Rosie Perez, a friend who was among the first to discuss Shiora's allegations with her, told me, She was riding high and then she started acting weird and getting reclusive. It made no sense. Why did this woman who was so talented and riding so high, doing hit after hit, then all of a sudden fall off the map? 
It hurts me as a fellow actress to see her career not flourish the way it should have. Okay. So there you have it. And there's so <laughs> many more. Discuss, he yes. does Australian. <laughs> he does English. And these accents are... They offended me. Like, couldn't he have, like, there were so many options. He could have just read it normally or gotten the people to actually play themselves <laughs> in the book. Or... What do you think the conversation between the editor and the publisher was when they heard this take of the audiobook? Or, like, They're the like, producer in the, right. in the Who's audible... going to tell him? You tell him. No, you tell no, him. You he tell can't him. do that. <laughs> You, they couldn't do it. So, I mean, I think the, the shocking thing is how bad of an actor Ronan Farrow is. But he should stay in his lane. He's He may or may not be a wonderful reporter and writer, but he is certainly not an accredited voiced actor. No. Is he a member of SAG or whatever SAG for voice actors is? I, I don't. No, I, definitely not. I mean, everyone says that his father is not really Woody Allen and that it's really Frank Sinatra. But now well, I'm Frank questioning... Sinatra doesn't have a Ukrainian accent either. <laughs> right. I mean, we've never heard Ronan Farrow sing, so I don't know. But I'm questioning if his mother is really Mia Farrow. Who could it be? <laughs> Rosie Perez? <laughs> Rosie Perez. So I don't I'm know. I'm not sure if the ages sync up, but sure, why not? So <laughs> who's his, who's his, maybe his, his mother is a Ukrainian mobster. Maybe, or an Italian model. I don't know. I have to just give this whole thing a nope. Um, the story is still unfolding. My prediction um, is that Ronan Farrow is going to have to apologize. I could be wrong. What, for his entire career? No, for, for the for mistakes that he, not for the accents, for the mistakes he made in the book with the fact checking. I think it's gonna it's gonna snowball. Um, but the accents, Audible, all, Audible should like redact that. I mean, in the old days when you used to buy books on tape on cassette, you couldn't take something back if it was terrible. But now it's all streaming, right? I mean, all you have to do is like swap in, you know, him saying it normally or some actually accredited accent actor doing yeah, it. Yeah, why couldn't they get actors to play the people? Like, if they couldn't get, like, Ambro Gutierrez yeah. to do a cameo, <laughs> like, at least get, like, an actual Italian to... Okay, nope, nope okay, to this nope, whole fiasco. Absolutely not. No accents. Thank you, thank you for listening to that audiobook so I didn't have to. Sure. Nope. <laughs> nope, absolutely not. All right. Well, last week we talked about the whole um, Allison Roman versus Chrissy Teigen situation. And I won't rehash the details other than to say that the whole thing was not really worth anybody's attention, but we're all doing nothing. So it got <laughs> it wasn't, out of It wasn't worth our attention. And listeners were sorry we bothered you with that story in the first place. <laughs> yes. We, we regret the error. And <laughs> we thought it was all over when Allison apologized and Chrissy accepted Allison's apology. But no, we cannot have nice things. We've said it before and we will say it again. The New York Times yesterday decided to temporarily suspend Allison Roman's food column because of this whole thing. That seems like a disproportionate uh, response. It I is mean, an insane overreaction. It is insane. Yeah. And, and it's not like she's covering, like doing hard news coverage of something that she got into a spat with a source or something. She's a fucking food columnist, right? right. I mean, how hard is it to like just, you know, write in your silo? And if you want to have your celebrity spats, go ahead and do it. 
Right, or just tell her don't do that again. Or I, I mean, I don't know. She <laughs> apologized. <on> <laughs> she, like what? Do you, like what is this doing? I, I just don't understand the point. So, um, you know, so they did that, and who's paying the price? Us, because we need the fucking recipes. We are stuck <laughs> in the house with ingredients. And we want the deliciousness. We don't know what to do with it. I went to Wegmans. I have $500 worth of ingredients. You had to call AAA to get the ingredients home. And now I need to call Chrissy Teigen for recipes because Allison Roman isn't there for me anymore. (laughs) Well, don't worry. I have an idea of someone who could fill in. Um, Robert Pattinson. Oh, the vampire actor. That's all. That's the last thing I remember about him. He'd be the perfect substitute during this time. So, so Robert, so Robert Pattinson was on the cover of GQ this month, and he did an interview with a writer named Zach Barron that was truly off the wall, even for these insane times. Um, So. Robert Pattinson is holed up in a London apartment after finishing a big Christopher Nolan movie. He's going to soon also be Batman. And he's, uh, you know, he's just talking about what he's been up to in quarantine. And he mentions in the middle of the interview that he's been trying out a new recipe slash business idea. (laughs) (laughs) No good has ever come from those two words coming together. (laughs) We're interview- we're interviewing companies for the next accelerator class, and if anyone came in with a pitch for a recipe slash business idea, I would show them the door immediately. Immediately before they even if they were on Zoom, I would hit end meeting, yes. leave meeting. Yes, yes. So the idea is called Piccolini Cusch- Cuschino, and which means little little pillow. Little pillow. Not little pickle, little pillow. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, that's a. Ra- I don't know. Is it like a ravioli? Like a little pillow ravioli? <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> the point was that he's trying to give pasta the same <laughs> the same kind of fast food credentials as burgers and pizza and trying to think how can you make pa- <laughs> make a pasta that you can hold in your hand <laughs> <laughs> like a carnival corn dog but pasta yes. you could skewer yes. like rigatoni's on a on a necklace or something on a candy necklace <laughs> that's a better idea than piccolini or deep fried lasagna Deep fried lasagna is a great idea. Um, but so anyway, before the pandemic, Robert Pattinson said he designed a prototype and he set up a meeting. <laughs> with- was it a working prototype? <laughs> Just a proof of concept? An MVP? <laughs> I, I mean, there are a lot of questions. Um, but he, he set up a meeting with this restaurateur named Lili Massimimi, who is the co-founder of Sugarfish. So like a legit person. And Which we've when, talked about, I think. We've talked about Sugarfish. It's delicious. And so when Robert Pattinson tells him about the business plan, he said that Massimimi's facial expression didn't change at all <laughs> after he heard the pitch. And... <laughs> This is the quote. (laughs) He did not acknowledge what my plan was. There was no sign of anything from him, literally. 
Oh, and so, I feel bad. No, you pitch your brilliant business idea and you just get a stone-faced investor? That's horrible. It's horrible. So he thought that since it didn't work out, uh, maybe if he demoed the pasta pillow <laughs> over Zoom for GQ, that another <laughs> business partner might emerge. He's just going Shark Tank. Yes. So here's how you make Piccolini Cuschino. Here's what you need. You need penne pasta, some sauce, a box of cornflakes, nine packs of pre-sliced cheese, <laughs> sugar, and a lot of aluminum foil. And oh, a, my and a- God. <laughs> Wait, is that the designation in the recipe? A lot of aluminum yes. foil? <laughs> is it sponsored by Reynolds Wrap? <laughs> and you also need a novelty lighter to flambe the top. Okay, so you put on latex gloves and you make a hollowed <laughs> you make a hollowed Wait, so this involves PPE also. Yes. <laughs> you need a surgical gown, a face mask. It's latex the perfect gloves. recipe for our time. So you put on the gloves and you make a hollowed out sphere with aluminum foil and then you microwave you microwave the penne pasta for 8 minutes in a bowl, okay? Oh, you, so you can make it in like prison like, like that guy. Right, right. <laughs> Um, and he said, Robert Pattinson said that penne was all that they happened to have in the store. But normally he uses this other pasta that he described as a squiggly blob that looks like the hair, like a hair bun on a girl. And Is it like a thing of angel hair pasta? Like one of those? No, of- <laughs> no. And the writer of this article said to him, I have no idea what you're talking, <laughs> what you're talking about. Which is like basically these celebrities, they live in their own like la la land where they think they've invented some kind of spaghetti concoction and they think it's a unicorn. And they think, yes, yes. So he takes the foil and he dumps sugar on top of it. Then he puts the cheese on top of the sugar. But then like something a child would make. Like (laughs) you do a cooking project and AJ raids the the cabinet for whatever you happen to have there dry pasta, pepperoni, American cheese, and you. Sugar like, syrup. Sugar. You crumble it into a thing of of aluminum foil and you put it in the microwave and it explodes. But let me let me just <laughs> tell you. Okay, so he so he puts the cheese on the sugar, and then he realizes he forgot the cornflakes. So he takes the cheese off and puts the cornflakes under the cheese, and then he adds the sauce, and then he dumps in the pasta. And so he's built the pillow, and now he puts more sugar on the top and adds the top half of a bun to cover it, (laughs) to cover the top. And then Pattinson takes the novelty lighter and starts burning in the letters P and C for Piccolino Cuschino because he wants it to be branded on the top. And he accidentally, as he's doing this, he accidentally lights his latex gloves on fire, (laughs) burns his hand, and starts screaming. Serves him right. Okay. Okay, so once that situation is resolved, he wraps the whole schmagoo in more foil and asks Zach Barron, the writer, can you put foil in an oven? And Zach is like, "Um, yes, as long as it's not a microwave. (laughs) And Robert's like, cool. And he starts looking for the oven in this apartment that the movie studio rented for him. And he finds what he thinks is not a microwave. And he puts the thing in it and turns it on. And it is a microwave. (laughs) It's a microwave. (laughs) And like quote a lightning bolt erupts from the oven and Pattinson ducks like someone who has opened fire he's crouching as the oven throws off stray flickers of light and sound and then there's a final bang and everything goes dark 
Scene. <laughs> and there you have it, Piccolini Casino. So I mean, I have, I have so many questions. My first question is: Is this a sweet or a savory? Is it because there's sugar in it? Is it a sweet pasta dish? Um, it's a sweet pasta dish. Uh, I, there have been a lot of uh, journalists who have been making it lately because they want to oh. recreate it. So pretty much everyone is is making that. It's like the new sort of disgusting version of Allison Roman's shallot pasta. <laughs> <laughs> or buttered noodles, generously buttered noodles. Right. Um, the perfect canvas, yes. For, for um, any stew you- or braise. Right. So I think the only uh, postscript here is you have to try to make it. I can't eat pasta because it has gluten, but I think you should try to make it even if you can't find these little bird's nest um, angel hair things. Just substitute whatever you have. And you and AJ can have a cooking project. Oh, I'm not. I'm not making this. I'm not making this. No, 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 no. It's a disaster. Um, the Daily Beast said it tastes like staring into the void. The Guardian called it fire and nausea. A writer <laughs> for Business Insider said it was so sugary. I'm amazed. I still have teeth. No, I'm not making. This. Nope. Nope. Robert Pattinson, stay in your lane. Be a vampire. Stay in your lane. Nope to the New York Times for suspending Allison Roman. Give us the recipes. Jesus fucking Christ. Why can't we have nice things? We can't have nice recipes. Nope. Okay. So speaking of the New York Times, that's a good transition. Uh, I read the New York Times book review every week, and I've been noticing this very peculiar ad. And I've been wanting to investigate it for a while. It usually is a quarter-page ad, which is like a decadent marketing budget for a book. And then this week, it was a half-page ad. And I said, my time has come. I must look into this. And um, the name of the book on the cover just says Ambassador John L. Loeb Jr. And the picture is just like of an old white male at his desk, sitting in a red leather chair, and behind him on one side is an American flag, and the other side is a portrait of Ronald Reagan. They had my attention. Um, and the quote, uh, like the, the call-out quote, the, the thing says, uh, Mayor Lehman, John Loeb's great-grandfather, currently stars in the acclaimed play The Lehman Trilogy, which, oh. you, which you saw, I think, right? I was supposed to see it, but... The Broadway shut down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. But here's the thing. Did you not hear this correctly? This old man's great-grandfather currently stars in the play. (laughs) (laughs) Not the character of his great-grandfather. The actual great-grandfather of of this this old old man. (laughs) The great-grandfather was probably born in like 1835. Okay, I'm very confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, so of course I go on Amazon and there's a different cover of the book on Amazon that does have an actual title of the book. It's called Reflections, Memories, and Confessions with 600 Beautiful Photos. And I said, oh, this sounds intriguing. I love beautiful photos. Maybe I should read it. And then I saw that the book is 1,148 pages long. (laughs) That's long. That's a a commitment. That's a commitment. I said, well, look, there must be a lot of momentum. This must be like a cultural phenomenon, this book. And um, I looked at like the sales rankings because like this is a this is an author's dream. 
The publisher takes out multiple quarter half-page ads in the New York Times book review to promote the book. Not in this case, because it is number 192,098 in the Kindle store. So right who is now. this person? They're obviously buying their own ads, right? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> it's obviously self-published, and it's his own ads. It's a vanity project. He is, in fact, a very impressive person. He descended from the founders of Lehman Brothers and Low Roads, another thing. And he was the former U.S. ambassador to Denmark. Um, and the story, as it's told in the blurb, which is actually like a thousand-word blurb, of course, because he's clearly not known for brevity, is uh, he's Jewish. He grew up in New York City, battled anti-Semitism, but he lives in this rarefied world of the Upper East Side. So it sounded interesting. But apparently he was the ambassador to Denmark, so he is strangely into Danish things. And his number one credential is that he was knighted by Queen Margaret— I never know how to say that. Margareth, Margaret of Denmark. Um, the knighthood is the Grand Cross Order of the Order of Danamrog, um, which to me sounds like something out of Game of Thrones. Or so this is Harry a Potter. Deep- <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> so this is a deeply peculiar guy. And um, I'm glad I looked into it because it, it was a little bit of an Umberto Tazzi. It was a little bit of just like a little thread of something. And I, I went down a, a John Loeb, John L. Loeb Jr. wormhole, and I feel richer for it. It's like Shen Yun. It is like Shen Yun. It's like a weird <laughs> self-financed cult with like validation from people on the take or God knows who these people who worship him are. But look, if you are interested in having a quarantine binge read and you are have an appetite for 1,148 pages for someone who has won the Grand Cross of the Order of Danabrog from Queen Margaret <laughs> You're describing nobody. <laughs> The Venn diagram. You're shouting into the, the void. The Venn diagram of that description and humanity is nil. They do not intersect. It's an empty so set. I wish you well, John L. Loeb Jr., but I'm sorry to this autobiography. I say no. I say no too, but I, I also think that he should write a book about how his great-grandfather is still alive. <laughs> starring in a starring in show. A That's the book I want to read. I want to read the book by him, My Life in Show Business. <laughs> he started with the, like, Zigfield Follies. <laughs> a 250-year-old man. <laughs> That's what caught my eye originally. I read that quote and I was like, no, that must be a typo. And then I read it and I kept reading it in every subsequent week. And I'm like, no, there is a story here somewhere. I must figure so it out. So what he meant is that his great grandfather is like featured prominently. The character it, the of the great grandfather is okay. featured in <laughs> this so play. funny. And it's very different. It's a very different it's thing. Very different. Okay. No. Okay. No. Nope. No. Absolutely okay. not. Uh, I have one more. That's perfect for the crazy times we're living in. And this is one where the uh, headline says it all. We love those. We don't have to work too hard. 66-year-old Nebraska woman sues all gay people. In the world? (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) um, Maybe just in America. So um, this is one where the facts bear it out. This is not just clickbait. Sylvia Driscoll, age 66, of Auburn, Nebraska, actually filed a lawsuit in federal court called Driscoll versus Homosexuals. And like I looked at the actual court filing. It literally says defendant, colon, 
homosexuals. So you're the defendant. You are part of <laughs> It's a class action suit. <laughs> I represent all of the defendants I need to sign on. That's not what a class action suit works, but sure, I'll sign on. I'll take that case. <laughs> Normally, it's the plaintiffs that yes, is the class. But I, will, I will form a class of the defendants of homosexuals. So she's acting as her own lawyer and, quote, ambassador of God and his son, Jesus Christ. The petition is seven pages long. It has no citations. Normally, they're citations of precedent. She said instead she's relying on the Bible and Merriam-Webster. Okay. I don't know what definition she's pointing to. Um, and uh, her summary of it is says, why are judges passing laws so sinners can break religious and moral laws? Will all judges of this nation judge God to be a liar? And she spelled liar, L-I-E-R. So maybe he's lying. Maybe the maybe the God is, the judges are lying with another man. I think so. Yeah, think... the, the lion's lying down with or the lamb. Or maybe they're playing the liar. <laughs> Judge God to be a L Y R E. And uh, all I can say is that this trial, if they don't settle out of court, (laughs) and as the defendant, I will tell you I am not taking a settlement. No. I am taking this to the jury. (laughs) I want 12 angry men and women. Um, the thing is, well, I guess the uh, the gays might want a hung jury, but I'm dumb. Okay. Uh, okay. But the trial is going to be the fashion event of the year. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be like pride. <laughs> it's going to be like RuPaul. We should we should totally the <laughs> defendants like should all parade in on the catwalk for your life. <laughs> <laughs> so, nope to Sylvia Driscoll. Although, honestly, like, <laughs> go ahead, have your shot. There's like a saying about like a person who takes themselves on as their own client, like is deserves what they get. (laughs) I don't know. know. I'm gonna fuck it up, but anyway, you're not a lawyer. You're not qualified to quote Sylvia Driscoll. No, no. (laughs) Okay, this was a very silly and very terrible week, but um, I'm ready for some yups. These are little rays of light, the little beacons of hope that got us through the week. Rachel, you have a lovely yup I see here. I do, yeah. So um, proving once and for all that I am more of a basic B than I like to think I am. My yup this week goes to home-baked bread. All Um, right. Okay, you're another one. Don't tell me I know you're a gluten. Bread. You can't have gluten, so you're right. like hating on bread, but it is delicious. Specifically, um, Mark Bittman's No Need Bread, um, which I will link to the recipe in the show notes. Um, it was delightful. It was pretty easy to make. And um, for me, it represented a triumph in overcoming COVID because I wrote this piece in Vanity Fair about Josh and how when he was sick, Everyone online at that time was going crazy about making their own bread and having sourdough starters. And this was way back in March before people moved on to churning their own butter. Um, And I couldn't find yeast anywhere. So I tried to cultivate it at home. It was an epic fail. My friend read the piece and was like, I'm sending you some yeast. And a week later, I got a bag of the stuff. So now I have this new hobby and it's impressive to bake your own 
bread and the house smells great and my sense of smell appears to be coming back after covid so yep <laughs> yep to all of it you know yep to you i mean i have no need for no need bread oh, oh okay but um i wasn't even planning that but uh, good i'm glad it makes you happy speaking of yeast um have you heard of nooch I've not heard of Nooch. I don't know what that is. I don't know if I want to know what that is, but I guess it's a delight because you're giving it a yup. <laughs> so um, it is Nooch is short for nutritional yeast, um, which there's all sorts of health claims about it. Apparently, they're all nonsense, but it's been taken up by like bro culture as like the new keto, like the new performance thing, like got to put your nooch in your power shake or whatever it is, which you would think would make it vile. But in fact, uh, I read something that said that it actually tastes like cheese and it's a great like no calorie, nothing good in it, but nothing bad in it, uh, like addition for your popcorn or to put on top of a lovely soup or something. So I ordered it and sure enough, it was back ordered for like a month and a half. I put the order in. Uh, on Amazon because everyone's going wild for the nooch. And and finally it arrived and it's delicious. Okay, I can't wait. uh, Could you send me some? I want to try it. Yeah, I I actually doubled up my order because I knew there was a run on it. And um, so I have an extra one here. I'd be happy to to ship it to you. Please do. I want to taste it. I'm curious. Uh, The only problem I had with this is that there's uh, one of those Jesus fish on the back. Um, which I obviously didn't see from the packaging on Amazon. You know what I mean? When there's like a Christian food maker, they put the little John whatever Christian fish thing. Eh, not my favorite, but uh, you do you. you. Okay, so my yup goes to Nooch. Um, I look forward to enjoying them it in the future. (laughs) In fact, I'll have some popcorn now with some Nooch on it. Okay, uh, anything to add, Rachel? Um, no, just keep the reviews coming. And uh, yeah. if you like this tell podcast, everyone. tell everyone you know. Um, hop on Zoom, tell all your friends, email yeah. them. Yeah, everyone I tell loves it, but they're probably just telling me that because I'm the one who told them. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know what people say behind our backs. No one does. Okay, <laughs> speaking of terrible <laughs> things to end on, it's been a terrible week, but it has been fun to record this podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been Nope, the podcast where we shut it down. Nope.